it's it's technology it's built to humiliate us <laughs> just especially as uh, especially as i get older i just i just I, I i i abandon myself to the humiliation welcome for the third time to the tech <laughs> ev michael um i i started uh, saying that the um we we are recording on the 19th of july i got it right this time um hottest day in the uk 40 degrees in history I, hottest day in history yes uh, as uh, president was it truman said a day a day which will go down in infamy it's, <laughs> it's a terrible day it it uh, as i was saying to, on our second uh, chat <laughs> uh, the reason it matters the, the reason that 40 degrees in the uk matters is uh, normally when you have a weather event you distinguish it from climate change because climates are averages and distributions of daily things. And one event can occur, odd events can occur. But 40 degrees is so extreme uh, that the situation is more like this. It's more like uh, uh, when you go to the beach, uh, I don't know if you've had this experience, you go to the beach and you see the waves coming in and you're trying to, you want to know, is the tide coming in or going out? And the waves are going backwards and forwards by you know many meters often. You can't see the small trend in the tide. That's exactly like climate change. In the UK, the temperature, the average temperature changes by 20 millikelvin per year, 0.02 degrees per year. And nobody is personally aware of that on because the temperature varies by 10 or 15 or 20 degrees every day. 10 or 20 degrees through the seasons, you, you're just not aware of that. Uh, but like on the beach, what you do is you look at a marker, uh, you look at a rock that's dry and you say, the waves are just getting nowhere near that. They will never reach that. And then you watch to see if, the, if they come closer. And so this fiducial marker, this has been washed over by a big wave. It's something that just, essentially will never happen by chance if the climate were, were not changing. So the reason it matters is not that we've had 40 degrees. Most people are going to be okay. It's a thing to chat about. The, the, the you know, the fridges failed in the local supermarket. You know, it's <laughs> yes. a, a day that people remember. Yeah. The reason it matters is it just confirms that the tide is rising. It's just rising inexorably. And until we stop emitting carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, it will just keep rising. Yeah. I mean, and folks, we didn't plan this. Like, this is, you know. No, it's just. <laughs> just yes. uh, I wish we didn't plan this because I, I literally I have my feet in the ice <laughs> and and I have an ice pack in the back of my uh, spine. And I'm still quite hot because I had to close all the doors and stuff to, you know. To avoid echoes because I'm a professional. Um, <laughs> not that it matters that much, uh, but you know, I I put a, I put all the effort that I can into this podcast, so um, so you can listen to it, you know, on on your way uh, to whatever. I so one of the reasons I wanted to bring you in is because you're a you're a real life scientist. You actually know this stuff. I can ask actually ask you questions, and you'll you, you won't you won't say oh, I think this is what it is, but you actually you, you know. can ask me anything you like. I'm not just a, a real life scientist, but I'm a real life scientist that doesn't have a job anymore. I'm a retired person, so I'm not beholden to an employer either. Uh, 
<laughs> if I worked at so when I worked at the National Physical Laboratory, I would have to think what would what would my manager say if they heard me say that. I don't have to think that anymore. That, that that's that's good because yeah, I had I had a few episodes of this podcast that I recorded, and then they weren't approved by the corporate overlords. Of whoever, whoever the, the person works for, so I actually couldn't release it anymore, and it's a bit embarrassing when you spend an hour or two yeah. with somebody talking about something fascinating, and then you find out that they said too much, and you can't release it. Uh, <laughs> very frustrating. <laughs> it is very frustrating. But the uh, um, so w w welcome to the podcast. You've already uh, told us who you are because I I like the guests to introduce themselves uh, because I always you know I I can only say so much, and people can introduce themselves. Way better than I can. Would you like me to give a, a precy of my sure. life so far? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Go I'm, for it. I'm 62 years old. I'm a, a married person. I live in Teddington, UK. I have two adult boys now. Uh, my career goes into two parts. Uh, the first part, I was an academic physicist at Birkbeck College and University College London, studying arcane properties of materials at low temperatures and teaching and then uh when i became 40 i realized i wasn't enjoying it very much and i switched jobs uh to uh work at the national physical laboratory which is in teddington very convenient <laughs> uh, and uh so i worked there for 20 years and at, at national physical laboratory that's where my interest in climate began because uh, so one of my jobs there was making the most accurate temperature measurements that have actually ever been made. Uh, what okay. we measured was how wrong all the other thermometers on Earth are. It's very, very big, bold statement, but it's a very, very hard thing to do. And together with colleagues, we worked at it very, very hard. Uh, and but one of the issues around temperature, which is measured, you know, all over the everyone's measures temperature. You see on Twitter today, everyone's got a thermometer, but. Uh, it's about knowing that you've got the right answer. That's, that's where things really become hard. Yeah. And so the Met Office uh, measurements, their, uh, uh, their thermometers that recorded these records now will be sent back to uh, Exeter and checked in their calibration lab. And they have thermometers that can be traced to our thermometers. So they know, we know that these things are reading and what their reading means. Uh, and so... I was involved with a lot of that stuff and became very interested in the whole issue of how you measure the temperature of the earth and how you measure the, uh, 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 these rising trends in temperature. It seemed at first, it seemed like it would be an impossible thing to do to just, just be too complicated. But it turns out as when I looked at it, that it, it, it's actually done really carefully and really cleverly. Uh, uh, so for example, one of the clever things about the way the climate records are made, uh, so they all exploit the uh, they all exploit the meteorological standards that have been deployed around the world for years. Uh, so that, that's a very precise way of making a measurement, uh, and it has biases. So sunlight on the enclosure will affect it slightly, but in a very similar way. Uh, all around the world. But one of the really clever things is that uh, the reading of any thermometer is never compared, or from one MET station, is never compared with another MET station. All you take are the readings from a single station 
So all the bias, the local biases, trees or something like that, uh, stay the same for that station. And then you you just look at whether there's a trend on that local station. Now, you can look for the trends and you can look for jumps where somebody changes the calibration of a thermometer or you can look for all kinds of things. And it turns out that when you analyze MET stations all over the world, I think people analyze about 30 or 50,000 MET stations. They've all got a slope. <laughs> I mean, it's not absolutely all, but pretty much they, if you just look at them, they, they're, they're all sloped. They're all going up all over the world. You can be as careful as you like, uh, but it's a really, really big signal. And it's not, a, it's not an artifact. It's just really big. Okay, and I, but presumably we've we've known as a humanity that there was a trend for a very long time because you know there's famous photos of of uh, newspapers from like 1920s I think saying that you know I don't know whether it's just a measurement that people had back then or somebody sat down and thought look look all this smoke that we are emitting this isn't gonna be good for us is it uh, well the history of it is so there there are some very odd stories uh doing the rounds but the history of it is pretty clear with regard to carbon dioxide so uh there's some interesting physics things in the in the 19th century but the the big person at the end of the 19th century was svante arrhenius i hope i pronounced that right a great truly great swedish chemist and physicist uh, who calculated the effect of doubling the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Uh, so currently we've, we've added 50% to the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. So uh, he calculated that doubling carbon dioxide in the atmosphere would uh, warm the Earth's surface by about four degrees Celsius. Actually, it's not, it's not, not a bad estimate. Uh, and people didn't do very much about it because we were, back then we were only emitting about 1 billion tons of carbon dioxide a year. And so the calculations showed it would take centuries. Okay. Then you can skip forward. It sort of, there wasn't very much done about it until a scientist uh, called uh, Guy Callender in the UK. Again, a very, very odd bloke, actually. Uh, really interesting bloke. Com acting completely off his own back. I think history is full of odd blokes. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yes, it is. He's a really sweet guy, married, loved, you know, he's really devoted to his family and his children. Uh, and he thought, Do you know what? The amount of carbon dioxide must be warming the earth. And he did calculations, uh, but he didn't, what he did was not just to do the calculations. He came up with a slightly different answer to Arrhenius. He thought it would be a bit less than uh, four degrees. Uh, but what he did, is he measured the temperature of the earth. He got meteorological records, looked them up and then added them up in different ways. So he said, do you see the same trend in temperature in the Northern hemisphere and the Southern hemisphere? If you look at cities rather than isolated places, do you see the trend? And again, he spotted the trend, which you can see on the maps. So this was 1937. And he went to talk to the meteorological office as it was then, the Royal Meteorological Society, and you can read the paper. It's a, it's an absolutely brilliant paper, and they uh, uh, you could just see in the comments at the end. They just just thought, who who the hell are you telling us? Yeah. But the paper begins 
saying that normally we accept that nothing humans can do could possibly affect the climate. But what he pointed out was exactly how it happened. And to the point that it wasn't, there's a simplicity about the problem that, that overcomes any complexity. And the, the, so in the same way that Arrhenius came up with the answer, so he could come up with an answer and be very confident of it, even though he didn't know the details. And so you can then go forward to the 80s where we developed the, the code, the, the computer code to understand the way infrared light goes through the atmosphere. And then it became completely transparent. The answer didn't change very much. Doubling carbon dioxide makes two or three degrees warming. But what changed was the rate we were emitting it. So it's one billion tons when Arrhenius did it, uh, one billion tons per year, uh, five billion tons when uh, Guy Callender uh, did his calculations. And he thought it would be great. You know, it's just going to warm the earth just a little bit. We'll be able to grow things at the extremes of the climate. We, we won't have the return of an ice age. Uh, I think he has this lovely phrase at the end of his paper, and there will be no return of the deadly glaciers. That, that's the last, <laughs> that's the end of the, the, the paper. Uh, and, you know, it just made the world a slightly nicer place. And he only imagined that this 5 billion tons would go down as we built machines more efficiently. He thought that would go down, but it went up. And so instead of 5 billion tons, we now emit 36 billion tons. Wow. So instead of things happening in centuries, they're happening in decades. And this, this colossal amount of carbon dioxide put in the atmosphere is just, uh, well, it's, it's affecting the we're warming yeah um i mean he was probably right that you know if we kept all the ice ages away and have the the world slightly warmer it would be nice but this, uh, yeah this, absolutely this, this is this is quite often i'm going to play a bit of a devil's advocate um just because i want to hear your answers rather than you know i don't believe this is true but the um quite often you hear people saying things like oh yeah what's wrong with the, the earth being slightly warmer you know, it will be nice. So we're going to live in a in a you know in Spain and basically everybody and and all that. That's one thing you hear. I'm sure you've heard it many times over. Uh, yeah, no, it's a really good question, and uh, you know, almost everybody would like things to be a little bit warmer. It's you know, we, we live in the UK, yeah. you know, and people go abroad for holidays because they want to get their heat. So th the answer is, it, it's not it's not obvious that it will be harmful uh, immediately. Uh, uh, but you have to take a, a, a little bit of thinking about it. Uh, and so, uh, first of all, there's human beings are adapted. The way we live is adapted to a particular location. Yeah. And so uh, any change has some costs and things. So maybe we could just learn to live with a hotter earth. But then there are some very, very big, big scale things that, that change. So one of the... Uh, uh, one of the biggest and most worrying changes is that uh, you can. So just just be, just let me stop at that point. So, sure. are people looking for something to worry about? You know, is this doom mongering? Uh, certainly, when I first came to this issue, I thought, oh, I was I was I was teaching things to the public, and I thought, well, I'll say it's a bit of this, it's a bit of that. You know, let's let. When I read about it, it's just terrifying. <laughs> this was back in 2004. I, I was shocked at how 
difficult the situation was. So, so first of all, the things that the changes happen most at the extremes of the earth, at the high latitudes, uh, and uh, I, I can talk about the reasons for that, but that, that's where you see the changes first. And when you look at things like Arctic sea ice, you can see these massive changes in the uh, in the uh, it, just in the in the in the climate in the north. It's the, the sea the sea ice is retreating, uh, and so every year the, uh, the 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 ice in the polar ocean, the Arctic Ocean, is getting thinner. So it's only barely more than one year thick every time. It used to be many many years thick. Uh, uh, but now it, it's very, very thin. And very soon, the North Pole in the summer, it, it'll be one summer soon, it'll be in our lifetimes. It'll be, it'll be the North Pool. It'll be blue. <laughs> it'll be blue at the North Pole. It's not, it's not many years away. Uh, and so th that's a shocking thing. Uh, you know, wh where, will, where will Santa make his toys? <laughs> culturally... <laughs> culturally shocking yeah but the reason this sort of matters more is that the uh, the whole climate of the earth is is basically uh heat comes in at the equator and it's transported in big loops up to the pole that's and this temperature gradient drives all the features of the climate uh and if you stop this bit from being cold then the way heat moves through the atmosphere can just move around in other ways yeah. So that means that the whole climates can shift around in ways that might be very inconvenient. If you built the uh, big, vast areas for farming and it becomes 10 percent drier, you know, it can become impossible to do farming there. If you're relying on snow. So uh, in, in, uh, in the Western U.S. now, they rely on the uh, water from the Colorado River and all the, the basins there, which is snow melt from uh, the, 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 rock, the Rocky Mountains there. I can't remember what they're called. And they... Uh, I'm sure Americans will know. <laughs> it, and it, it, it's, it's slowly disappearing. It's, it, it, it's, it's, it looks like it's more than any sort of small fluctuation. And uh, without these basic things, you know, we're used to turning the tap on or we're used to water being cheap. Yeah, often it comes down to money. So instead of water disappearing, what happens is water becomes expensive, and uh, your economy, your the way we live, moves around to match what's cheap and what's what's expensive. So things that you know in in California, sunshine is cheap, but uh, water is going to get expensive. Uh, so, so the reason, just to round up, the reason it matters that the climate changes is we built our world we've occupied a lot of it uh, based on the way it is there we've learned to live with that if it shifts uh, then uh, it, it's trouble for everybody and then there are the bigger things the sea level rise and so on but that you know they're, they're centuries away but that the, the climate changes now and you, you can see the you know today we've had fires you know wildfires in Essex <laughs> And in, in Kent as well, in, in New Dartford. I mean, yeah, I hear a lot from people who do repeat, you know, some theories, some answers to the, you know, why the climate changes. Um, some of the some of the alternative quote unquote stories, and it annoys me as an engineer that I can't give them the 
the proper response because I um you know I I hate to say things that I I don't understand myself if that makes sense or at least that I didn't hear it from the source uh, yeah so that I trust the the reason the reason uh, I feel very confident in talking about it is well one there's the experimental measurements the Earth is warming up you know that's just a fact just and it's and and you could, these databases are all available anyone who cares can go out and. Uh, take a look at them so there's the famous case of the barclay earth uh measurement of earth temperature are you familiar with that mm, no so there, there were several laboratories that uh, looked at the data and processed it in their own way so one at the university of east anglia the met office do it uh nasa have two different outfits that have worked on this uh, and they all come up with estimates of the way the earth's temperature has changed uh but a lot of skeptics uh, said, no, 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 you're just doing it wrong. And you, if you remember ClimateGate, where they, they were hacked uh, and, you know, they, they were found an email that said, I've got a trick that does something. And it, this word trick was sort of, you know, it's just a technical way of processing data. But uh, so that was all taken out of context. So this outfit was set up, funded by money from the I think they're called the Koch brothers, K-O-C-H. Yeah, there's just one of them left now. The other one yeah. died. And uh, they were set up to ba basically uh, just, you know, do it do it right. And they got a physics professor, Richard Muller, who was uh, uh, utterly contemptuous of previous efforts. He said, no, it's, they've done it wrong. They haven't got anything right. You know, the... I'm going to do it my way. And they, they had a completely innovative approach. And they came up with exactly the same answer. And <laughs> wow. So it's this kind of thing that it doesn't matter how you go about it. It's, it's a really strong signal. So the experimental signal is just rock solid. Uh, so the earth is warming. Then when you come to the explanation of it, uh, uh, it, it th there are a couple of things. First of all, the explanation is really, really simple. And so, Arrhenius could appreciate it in 1896, 1897, and do an, a calculation, you know, done in his lab book. No, no calculators, anything like that. You can do that kind of calculation. Typically, it's in the first paragraph of a climate book, the, the, sorry, the first uh, chapter of a book on climate. Uh, it's very, very simple, and it makes a prediction for what the how, how the uh, temperature will change. And then you can... Uh, do the, the 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 calculations that the Met Office do or the Hadley Center are literally the most complex calculations that humans do. They divide the Earth into uh, a number of cells, uh, sort of going below the Earth, and the way moisture goes through the different layers of the Earth, the critical surface layer where we live, then the, the layers of the atmosphere, and then the ocean, and the Anyway, these things and the way energy and moisture go between them, it, they're incredibly complicated and people are studying them and they're done in an open source sort of way. So everyone checks up what everyone else is doing. And these gigantically complex uh, programs basically come up with the same number that Arrhenius came up with. So basically they're putting it, they're trying to think of a million possible things that could be could affect the answer they're putting them all in factory and it basically makes no difference basically doubling carbon dioxide in the atmosphere will uh, warm the earth by a few degrees three degrees 
I think was the latest guess, uh, latest estimate, uh, mm-hmm. but it's three plus or minus one. So that's how robust it is. It, it's just, uh, and you can understand it uh, in very simple terms. And I can talk about that if you'd like, uh, or. I, I could probably listen to you talking about it for hours. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so the thing I'd say is that uh, I, I, perhaps just to wrap it up is uh, I gave a talk to some six formers a few weeks ago and I, uh, uh, and that's, uh, I recorded that. That's on my blog, Proton's Breakfast blog. Uh, and I got very depressed. I explained it to them in very simple terms. And I got very depressed because I was giving them such terrible news that the, the state that we're in. Uh, and so if people, if people want to sort of go, go through how that works in simple pictorial terms, that, that that's the uh, t- t- take take a look on my blog, but the gist of it is that we are warming the planet. There's absolutely no doubt about it. And one thing which is not fully appreciated is if we suppose that God, in His infinite wisdom, lay His hand down on the on the uh, forehead of whichever person gets the conservative leadership and gave them the wisdom to ah i see and we miraculously stop emitting carbon dioxide as a as a species uh overnight the earth won't get colder the uk's climate has shifted and it won't go back however hot we warm the earth that's what we're stuck with yeah i yeah i i'm not much of a believer myself i i believe that Humans have to have done it themselves, and we have to, we have to rely on ourselves to to fix it. I, it's the only way. <laughs> I, I I agree with you very much. That's the uh, yeah. Uh, in in terms of the, um, uh, I mean, I I do, do we have um, so uh, as a, as an engineer again, if I if I wanted to, if somebody gave me data saying the temperatures are rising, and somebody supposed that okay, it's because of the. Um, carbon dioxide the next question i would ask as an engineer again would be do we have the data for measurement of the di- carbon dioxide uh, uh, in the atmosphere over the years as well to kind of you know to see whether the trend actually tracks does that make sense um yeah. that's one of the questions i often get do we oh, have yes. that we absolutely do have that so when uh when arrhenius made his prediction back in 1897 we had only the sketchiest measurements of carbon dioxide and when guy calendar made his uh uh assertion back in 1937 again measurements of carbon dioxide were really very poor and they were thought to be homogeneous around the earth so the, the measurements came in in the year of my birth 1959 uh they uh Charles Keeling started measurements and he tried to go somewhere uh, out of away from civilization. He went to Mauna Loa in Hawaii. So this is an island uh, in the middle of the Pacific. Uh, and he started measuring uh, carbon dioxide way more precisely than anybody else had ever measured it. And he started this series, which is still going. And if you read about how they started, it's very interesting because they found they were very, very frustrated that they'd measuring and then averaging day by day. And they found that 
there was a systematic drift in their measurements. And so for months, it kept on going. And they they could not figure out what was changing. And then it started to drift upwards. And eventually, after a year, they realized it was an annual cycle. And what they were measuring for the first time was the Earth breathing. In the Northern Hemisphere, which was mainly where, where they were uh, sampling, uh, in, the, in, the, uh, in the summer now, the, uh, we, the, the plants suck carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere to make leaves. And so the carbon dioxide level falls. And then in the winter, they, they drop their leaves and out comes the carbon dioxide again and the carbon dioxide level rises. And they noticed that the level went down and then up, but that there was a shift in the year. Uh, over the year and there's this wiggle going up and down that's the earth breathing and then this trend and uh that was the detection that the carbon dioxide was rising and that series has gone continuously uh to the present day if you look up uh, the keeling curve on the internet you you can it'll have today's value on there Uh, oh wow so that that's that kind of um because the other the other theory that I hear is that, oh, you know, it's not, not a problem. Plankton likes CO2, so therefore we're going to have more plankton and we're going to have more trees and they're going to be fine. But obviously that's not that's not the, um, the solution. Well, it's very interesting. We are growing more. So things do grow more now than they used to because the extra CO2, there's about 50% extra CO2. And so that is, is uh, each year about a quarter of what we emit is taken up in extra growing things. Unfortunately, a lot of that is in northern hemispheres, turning things green, and they should be white. But things are growing, uh, and uh, but the, the, we do need to worry about our plankton uh, because the uh, a quarter of the carbon dioxide we emit is going into the uh, oceans, the top layers of the oceans, and that changes the acidity of the ocean. And there are many little creatures in there that are affected by that. So it's 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 not the it's not a silver bullet basically. It's, <laughs> it, every, everything has a has, what is the, uh, the one of the laws of uh, Newton's laws of physics says that you know everything has an impact on the next thing and yeah, everything yeah, kind yeah. of I can't remember yes. the name of the law but uh. it's Newton's third law. Everything okay. that's an equal and opposite reaction. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> um, and. Last last theory because I I I, fi- I find it fascinating um, and I would like for people other others to kind of hear the answer as well is the the other theory that I hear is the whole you know solar system works in um, in in waves and you know there was an ice age a couple million years ago and now it's no 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 it's got to go down ice age was twenty thousand years ago not okay it's very important in these it, as you look back in time it's very easy to get lost in the uh, in history you know twenty thousand Two million. Yeah, you know, they're actually very, very different numbers. Twenty thousand yes. is kind of appreciable, you know. The, you know, so two thousand year to to uh, the, the 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 current era, as they call it, AD anno domini, or and then so you've got you know Greeks go back two thousand, Egyptian three thousand. You know, that's where people were on Stonehenge and so on. So, for example, eight thousand years ago, the UK was still connected to the continent. Yeah. Uh, and then we had the ultimate Brexit, the big, <laughs> the big Brexit, as it were, and uh, uh, the, the channel was formed. So, uh, yeah. So, so the Ice Age was about twenty thousand years ago. Yeah. Okay, but what would, you, what would you say to the person who says, 
oh, this is all going to go, you know, it's going to get warm and then it's going to get cold again and we're going to have an ice age in 20,000 years. It's all going to be fine. Because humans, humans did exist uh, 20,000 years ago. And that's their kind of, I think that's their argument, right? That things will kind of go back to the way they used to be. And it, Well, they didn't exist here 20,000 years ago. <laughs> no, no. Because where, where I am now, there was probably about a kilometer of ice. True. Uh, they they were not they were not here, <laughs> and uh, so humanity was a very small band back then. Uh, uh, we, we are enormously more numerous now. Uh, so it is a very interesting point, and and, and it, the ice ages are totally fascinating. They fascinated the Victorians. They realized as they began to study geology, they realized that there must have been this previous era, and but they didn't quite grasp what was going on, and so the. The uh, the person who figured it out, and people have taken that work much further since, is a guy called Milankovitch, um, and there are so-called Milankovitch cycles. And uh, so, what you have to do is, so if you can imagine uh, the Earth uh, sort of sitting here, uh, and it's got cold bits on the top, but then they're icy. And what you have to imagine is that you change the amount of sunlight reaching the earth by a tiny amount. Uh, and in fact, it doesn't matter in most places. The place where it really matters is what you what's called a snow line. It's the place where snow will lie on the ground over the summer. Okay. So, so if you come down from the north, there'll be some latitude that snow will persist. And so if at these high latitudes, you change the the the, uh, the amount of insulation amount of sunlight that comes down in summer then slowly you nudge just incrementally you nudge the snow line a little bit further to the north and that allows a little bit more solar absorption and then the next year you nudge it slightly further north so what happens is you you get cycles and as the earth's attitude in space twists slightly because of uh, just the way Newton dynamics, uh, it, the amount of sunlight at these higher latitudes changes very subtly. And there's a whole cycle of them that every, I think, 20,000 years or something like that. There, there's some that are less than that, some that are more than that. And they, they add together in complex ways. Uh, and so when they shift one way, they push the ice back and you, you get an interglacial period. Uh, and then when they act the other way, as, as the summer gets slightly shorter or less powerful, the ice is able to stay on the ground longer. And then because it reflects energy, it, it, it'll tend to uh, cool the earth a little bit more. And then, then the ice will come down. And what if you look back, what you see is over about three million years, the ice advancing and retreating in line with these cycles. And what that tells you is that the... The, the sort of climate of the earth is exquisitely balanced <laughs> because these changes in sunlight are absolutely tiny and they're just at one part of the earth uh, where they have this effect. And so what that tells you, what we've, the way we've perturbed the climate is massively more than any of these weak perturbations. So we are not going back into an ice age. The, the, these solar small changes in the Earth's attitude towards the sun will continue to change, but the carbon dioxide effect is massively more than any of these tiny changes. Okay, so so it's not basically that that theory is is true. I mean, it's based on 
science, but it's not the answer to the problems we're having now. Basically, it's not the cause of what we've got. No, no. That. the cause is very, 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 very simple. Yeah. The the reason is so. I don't know if you had the chance to look up at the sky today, Greg. The uh, but the sky. So that's where the the sun comes in. Yeah, that's what heats the earth, sunlight. And so the question is, how does the earth cool down? So the earth is sitting in space. So uh, sunlight warms it up. If it's just sunlight, it just gets hotter and hotter and hotter. It has to lose the energy. That's that's a good question. So the way the earth cools down is it sends infrared energy out into space. That's it. Sunlight makes us warm. Infrared energy cools us. And and when there's a balance between the sunlight that reaches the Earth's surface and the infrared energy that leaves the Earth's surface, then the Earth's surface is stable in temperature. Okay. And so if you look up at the sky, it's clear in the visible. You look out and you see blue. Now, the blue is actually because the atmosphere is not completely transparent in the visible uh, what you're seeing is when sunlight goes through the uh, the the atmosphere, it makes it glow slightly, and it makes it the blue light. There's a slightly stronger effect than the red light. So you look up, and you're you're literally seeing the air glowing. If, if the atmosphere were transparent, you'd look right through it into the blackness of space. Yeah. So, but if you were looking in the infrared, whatever day you look up, it would be foggy. It would be foggy all the time. So when the Earth uh, tries to lose the Earth's surface tries to lose energy, it's it's it, the the uh, infrared energy has got to go through a thick fog. It, this is twenty four hours a day, all around, and that fog is caused by uh, it, the infrared fog is caused by water vapor and carbon dioxide, and uh, so. Uh, what happens is as the infrared light tries to go through, uh, like through fog, I don't know if you've ever driven in fog within your headlights and you try to shine light through it to get through to see on, but but it just shines back. And so in the same way, the infrared lights, the earth is glowing in the infrared and it's trying to get the energy off the earth, but it goes into the fog and some of it comes back. And then eventually, eventually the earth's temperature gets hot enough that, that some of the energy can make it out and that eventually you get a balance between what leaves the top of the atmosphere and what comes in. And that's the situation we're in now. And this, this fogginess in the infrared it gives rise to greenhouse warming of the earth. And it's absolutely massive effect. It's 33 degrees. So the earth's surface is 33 degrees warmer than it would be if we were just a rock in space. And that's caused by water vapor and carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. It's a massive effect. Uh, and what we're doing is making that fog. You remember, we've got like 50% more carbon dioxide in it. We're making that fog slightly denser. And yeah. a little bit more energy is coming back to Earth. And that little bit more energy is warming the Earth. That That's the basic mechanism. Uh, so, and you can put numbers on it. Uh, basically, we're... A, about 1% more energy is coming down to Earth to warm the Earth that was trying to radiate out into space, radiate out into space, and that's what's causing the warming. It's called the, the climate forcing. Uh, and it, it, it's, it's a very small amount in absolute terms. It's about one watt per square meter. 
on Earth. It's like someone left a fairy light on over every square meter of Earth. And you might think, how could that ever warm the climate? But if you leave it on day and night, that will, and that, that's the, the, roughly the power. Uh, uh, yeah, I, th I think our human bodies emit about 40 watts. So it's like having a human every however many square meters. A few square meters, yeah. 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 Uh, well, I mean, that, yeah, that is fascinating. But, you know, we know that climate, so we, we've established that climate change is real. Um, there's no, we know what it's going to, we can predict what the, if we don't yeah. change anything, what the differences are going to make. Um, uh, what can we do first as, you know, humans because yeah. because just just to get, just to establish back to the uh, so this podcast is supposed to be about uh, sustainable transportation that was my initial setup but uh as i kind of you know started diving into this this world myself i realized that loads of people for at least from my uh, um my journey get into like electric cars or electrification in in general essentially stop burning stuff is the is the sort of yeah, the top yeah. level uh, but when it comes to transportation, but once you have an electric car or, or electric bike or whatever, you you realize that there's more you can do. Like all of a sudden, that noise and that, um, the emissions and all that, uh, actually start to annoy you instead of being a good thing for most people. And they start looking at other aspects of their lives and you know look at it and look at it their house, and how they can improve things. You know, get solar panels just to get electricity to power their vehicle usually. Um, and and the kind of it, it's a bit of a snowball effect, and obviously you've approached it from a different point of view. You you yourself you looked at look at things from a scientific point of view and realized that you have to do something in your life. But the uh, what, yeah. what 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 can we do as humans, like you know, as individuals? It, or and and I suppose the the other fair question to ask is: Is it really down to us as 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 individuals, or should there be some sort of a governmental? action that actually you know dictates these things because obviously we, there's only so much we can do as, as individuals there's so many choices we can make it's a very 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 important question very very important question my my journey on this is uh, i retired just over two years ago and uh i don't know if you know when you retire you're able to get hold of some of uh, uh if you have a pension you can get a quarter of it uh tax-free and I thought what do I want to do and the only thing uh, is slightly neurotic maybe slightly obsessive I just wanted to reduce the amount of carbon dioxide emissions from the house I just don't I can hardly bear doing these things every just the normal things I do were emitting carbon dioxide it's massive so I looked at it and I realized the house was, for, for us, the house was the major Im Im source of emissions and that there were solutions to it. Uh, and uh, so because I'm a measurement scientist, I began measuring things. I began measuring the outside temperature and I began measuring uh, the gas meter. So I measured the temperature, the average temperature outside from, from a little weather station and I measured the meter, the gas meter every week and the electricity meter. And I was astonished that you could see week by week, you know, it was a little bit colder. You could see the gas go up a little bit warmer. And they, they just, wow, that's much closer than I imagined. It makes complete sense. I mean, I don't know why I was so surprised, but. 
anyway, I, then I realized that I could calculate exactly for one degree colder, I could calculate how many watts I was needed to dissipate in the house to keep the house warm. And then it's turned out that this is learning from Twitter, learning from colleagues on colleagues, Twitterati on Twitter, uh, learning from them that this number is called the heat transfer coefficient for the house is fundamental to uh, making a smart house. Anyway, so I made a plan. I used Excel to calculate it, and then I started spending money. So we put in triple glazing in the house. Uh, we uh, had external wall insulation put on. That's a very expensive thing. Uh, so that cost £27,000 or something. Uh, it's a new roof at the back. I think it looks lovely. Uh, and it, it halved the amount of uh, energy we needed to warm the house. And then we put in solar panels and a battery uh, and found that in the summer, we could just go off grid. It, it's just, it's mind, mind bending. We, so this summer we've been off grid for eight, 80 days tomorrow. Uh, and then uh, last year we put in a heat pump and that, and so altogether the quality of life in the house is unchanged. We still use dishwashers, tumble dryers, or uh, computers and so on. But we just, uh, well, in the summer, we don't emit any carbon at all, any carbon dioxide at all. And over the year, we it's gone down by 80% while the quality of life has been unchanged. And so uh, it's certainly possible to live a good life and not emit carbon dioxide. Now, not everyone has access to the cash I had, but when I talk about it, I, I'm targeting... Uh, I'm targeting retired people, men of a certain age, <laughs> who, who perhaps have access to this money, perhaps have the ability to 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 think about how to, to how to how to do things. I should say men and women of a certain age, because it's not it's not a it's not a gender thing. It's uh, it's because at my age, I think about my children and the thought of doing anything that would harm them is anathema to me. It, it, it's, it's, and so I want to devote my energies to just not emitting carbon dioxide. And so there are other things, you know, so I've given up milk in my tea, which if I'm an inveterate tea drinker and now completely drink tea in a different way. We, we don't eat very much meat anymore. Uh, and, and that, brings me on to the issue of what next. So if I look at all the ways we emit, so we still have a car uh, and in, in I, I don't have any money. My wife will have some money when she retires. And so getting a, an EV is one of those things. It'd be lovely to have. I just can, can imagine the way it just takes off without making a noise. It's, that just feels so sexy to me just, <laughs> just but i keep thinking i keep thinking it's just one more thing it's another thing that has to be made uh, and probably the it would be better to just not do that <laughs> for the planet so for me, so maybe if I had a family 
and living in suburban UK, cars are they're not essential, but they're uh, you know when kids are young, they're they're you know I used to say I don't have a car, I have a motorized motorized pram. You, you know, just for getting the children from one place to the other, and and uh, that's uh, so, so, so. I realize my situation is not everyone else's situation, but probably for me, sadly, the the noblest, the best thing I could do is to not have an EV. I don't know if my wife will agree with that, but. Uh, uh, it's, it's just to drive less, use public transport. Very, very boring. Uh, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I think, I think we as a culture are uh, way too dependent on on cars. And yeah. this is, you know, I don't, I don't think the the cars are the the biggest emitters of CO two. But the fact that everyone has to have a have one, yes, seems to be a, you know, if you if you talk to many people, they they can't get a job that they need. To sustain yes. themselves because because they need a car. Um, I mean, it's I I didn't get a I I grew up in a in a city with a very good public transportation, and I didn't get a driver's license until I was, was twenty seven, <laughs> just just because my girlfriend actually lived outside of the city, and you know in order to I mean she basically looked at me looked at me down if I didn't have a driver's license. Yeah, um, yeah obviously, <laughs> everyone understands that. <laughs> <laughs> so that you know, I was I was shamed into getting driver's license, and, I, and besides, I, I had a I had a very good job at the time that actually paid like way too, too well for my skills. Uh, and my girlfriend, the other girlfriend that I had before the one that shamed me, um, was saying to me, "You need to actually put that money somewhere into something." And one of the things was like get a car. Uh, you know, it's like it, it was a thing. You know, in t t in early two thousands that I when I was. Twenty something years old, approaching thirty, it it seemed shocking that I don't have a driver's license. Um, yeah, people. Um, my, but children, I, my children don't have a driver's license. They don't seem bothered. It it seems to be a trend these days, and I I you know I applaud that. But we, I mean, we still need vehicles, and we need transportation. And yes, so I'm a big I'm a big so I'm a big fan of EVs. I I love it that EVs are taking over, and I, on YouTube and Twitter, I follow people who talk about EVs. And I, I love the fact that it, this is it's totally astonishing. I mean, it's uh, Elon Musk and Tesla have basically changed history. <laughs> I, I think it, is it, you're an EV specialist. So I think it's true that without Tesla, none of this EV stuff would be happening. I think he certainly accelerated it massively. Yeah. Yeah, he basically shamed a lot of OEMs, and he uh, he took the power away from these big car companies by just getting on and doing it, building a a car. And his obsession that EVs didn't just have to be good enough, he had to show that they were better. Yeah, and uh, the en the engineering is fantastic, and and so I we we do need transport, and uh, it's fantastic they're gonna. Uh, when already around here, lots of delivery vehicles are uh, EVs now, and the local buses are EVs. It's fantastic. It's just much more pleasant. And then eventually, delivery vehicles that uh, you know Amazon use and Boots use and Tesco use, they'll all be electric, and the world will just be a better place for that. Uh, 
indeed it's quite funny uh where i live i live on top of a hill in 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 tunbridge which is a town in kent and um uh when i when i had my first electric car about seven years ago um it was a nissan leaf um everyone was laughing that the uh, it, you know oh it's so small and i mean it's not that small when you see it in person but when you see it in picture you can think you think it's not it's it's small and uh, people were saying, "Oh, it's it's a milk float," and ha ha ha, you know, and all the, you know all the usual kind of jokes. And but the uh, we moved here, and and our bedroom windows are to the street side. I mean, it's a quiet street. It's and it's not a it's not a through street. It's a you know it's a uh, it's not a cul-de-sac. But you know, it's it's there is no through traffic basically. Um, but the uh, the new people who moved across the road get their milk delivered every night, and I I got woken up very often at like two, three o'clock at night. Um, and once I got the cameras installed, I actually realized that it's because uh, a milk delivery drive or driver drives a, a diesel van and makes makes a racket because it's a hill going up and down this hill. Um, so, you know, it's, it's it's funny how the roles have reversed. The uh, the milk yeah, yes. float is, is, the loud, is the loud vehicle and I drive an EV. I mean, to be fair, now that the... Uh, um, fuel prices went up. I, I've actually seen him for the last two weeks driving an uh, an electric one. <laughs> oh, fantastic! fantastic. I, and it, you know, it's it's interesting. You, uh, anyway, 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 back to EVs. Yes. And the thing about it is, you were asking about personal responsibility versus governmental responsibility, and so I'm a person, and I feel obligated to do what I can personally, and. Uh, so that that's why I have done all the things because the things that are in my control, I want to to do them. And also by writing about them on the blog, I want to show people that that it's possible and and what what things make a difference, what my experience was, and so talking about it. So I've talked about it to local groups, uh, and you know, if I affect one other person, then maybe I can double the effect that I have, or maybe even triple. Uh, and so one person has already told me the talk I gave changed their lives. They said they saw how to do it now just by seeing what the steps were, that it's not magic. There's a lot of fear associated with it. So there's a lot of, uh, I think on the internet, they call it FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Yes. This spread around, for example, heat pumps, uh, and also spread around uh, uh, so solar panels and batteries and EVs. So lots of stories today about the way temperature affects EVs and, uh, you know, battery uh, life and so on. And uh, it, it uh, so I just wanted to sort of show what the experience was, uh, good, good, good and bad, and, and show that you, you could just live a life, which is just, not particularly different from any normal life, but it just doesn't emit carbon dioxide. We have all the tools at hand to do it. We just need a plan and it needs to be a governmental plan. It needs to help, but it's a matter of equity. We need to help all people live in houses that don't need so much heating. It's bonkers <laughs> that we don't insulate our houses properly. Absolutely bonkers. Uh, and it doesn't need... It just needs to be consistent, and to, but it must be a government plan. And things like public transport, 
So I, I, I live in Teddington, which is part of uh, the transport for London. And here we plan our bus buses. All the bus routes are planned. Uh, but in other parts of the country, in Manchester, where I've been in Leicester, people compete on the same bus route. They have two buses that run the same route. And of course, one tries to skip in front of the other to pick up the passengers at yeah. the stop. And and then you can't share the tickets between them. And one bus will operate, and we're operated by one company in South Manchester. You go to North Manchester, you can't use your ticket. It's it's insane. It is insane. Absolutely insane. And uh, it needs planning. It needs coherence. It needs to be collective. And so that's part of why I talk to people about it is because uh, it needs to be understood by everybody that it, this involves us all and the way we live. And it's not a particular person's fault. So one of the things I tried to write about some time back was uh, it was particularly clear in the pandemic in the first uh, few months of that when uh, we that the poorest paid workers in the country, the health workers, <laughs> were going to work on that they were supposed to have the buses to themselves uh and it's clear that you shouldn't put that carbon that's emitted by taking that bus journey on the people who are going to the hospital to look after critically ill people the carbon belonged to us all it shouldn't belong to the bus company because the bus company is doing things for us Lots of things that go on, you know, the streetlights, uh, you know, people delivering stuff, you know, it's you, you can assign it, sign the carbon emissions associated with to one thing, but it doesn't really, it's the way we live, it's a collective decision about how we've made to, to how to live our lives. And to change what we need is proper leadership and explanations and understanding from government to just commit to doing it differently it doesn't require any magic all the technology steps all exist and we can shift and uh, so the uk could cut carbon by 80 to 90 percent from what we've got now and you know no one would be living worse off the last bit i don't know how people are going to do it <laughs> but let's worry about that in 2045 Let's worry about the stuff we can do now and let's do it now. But that does require collective action. And, and, but the more individuals who are doing it and showing it can be done, the more people see it. So, so this house, a house is designed, I didn't want it to look weird, so it's made to look normal. And then I realized people were going past without realizing how amazing it was. So I stuck a notice outside and I change it every day. So I, I've got the sign tomorrow. And this is tomorrow's sign. Uh, here it is. Uh, it says, uh, this house looks ordinary, but it is ex exceptional. This house, uh, what's it say? been fully powered. Solar solar. powered for yeah. 80 days so far this year. And, uh, and then it's got a little QR code. You can uh, look up the web thing. But the point is, so people see that. And I've had feedback around multiple loops of people who tell me they've seen it. They know there's this weird bloke <laughs> who stuck this thing outside his house. And people stop and look at it. And you can see it's peaking people's uh, thoughts. And they're seeing there's a house. It looks ordinary. It's not weird. But here's a guy who's just not paying for electricity for a quarter of the year. <laughs> That's not bad. 
I mean, uh, we, we're getting extension uh, build at the end of next month, and uh, one of the one of the uh, things that I said to my wife, I I I always like like to have a list of things that are non-negotiable in a in any relationship. You know, this is like you can have whatever you want on your side, but this is what I want. And I said I need to have a heat pump in this house. Like, oh yeah, yeah, we, yeah. we're getting rid of gas basically, like altogether. We've had solar now. Well, when we bought this house in 2017, I said to my wife, then non-negotiable thing, solar on the roof. Yeah. We just have to have it. Um, so we paid that off, and obviously, you know, it's a, it's it was a massive investment at the time. Um, it was installed by the same company that installed yours, which uh, the little green energy company. Um, oh, yeah. uh, they're called. Yeah, but I, but I couldn't afford a battery at the time. Um, it was yeah. like ten thousand ten thousand pounds. I was like, yeah, this is exactly exactly. Already convincing my wife to get solar panels was like you know, the, the, <laughs> I, think it, I think it was like seven and a half thousand pounds or something. Uh, that that was a massive achievement uh i mean she wasn't my wife at the time which was you know um yeah uh, that's another story like the uh you know the the fact that she still married me eventually like <laughs> um but the uh where i'm going with this is the um we we're getting the heat pump we getting rid of gas basically we're getting induction hops and all that and fantastic what, what I, i'm trying to I say is i have to persuade my wife to get rid of the gas um I think in, induction hop. Well, I've I've only used induction hop for a week now, uh, but I think it's 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 something different. It it's 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 a magical thing where you my what my what, I, what my wife likes is the fact that when you, when you turn it off, it it the heat loss is almost instantaneous. Yes, it, yes. so it doesn't linger on. It there isn't like a you know, and what I like about it is the um, you walk into the kitchen and you don't. I can smell the. The noxious gases from the gas. Um, uh, yeah, so the gas is putting out uh, all kinds of horrible things. It puts nox. So that the NOx, the level in a kitchen, if you've been cooking for half an hour, will exceed anything you get in central London. So anything at all. So if anybody in your family has asthma or anything like that, just get rid of gas. It's just step one. Yes. Step one. Yeah. So I'm ho I'm hoping to get I'm I'm hoping to either expand the uh, solar on the roof or get a battery or maybe both, um, but what I'm trying to say is the um, whenever people make changes like this like do an extension or do some building work and they they have a lump sum quite often on a mortgage, yeah, to the mortgage, just get a get a few grand more and put a solar on your roof or yeah, do, yeah make make a small change because uh, because the excuse that I often quite hear quite often hear sorry is the uh, um, I can't afford all of this. This is, you know, this is too much money. And what I often say to people, or what is the return on investment, is the other question. And what I often say to people, and this is this was my response. I just somebody else told me that, and I thought this is brilliant. Which is, when you're doing up your kitchen or your drive, what is the return on investment on that? Yeah, absolutely. Or or on or on a car or on a big TV. Yeah, it, your life just gets better. You're upgrading your life uh, yeah, style. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, it's the same thing. And certainly, I have to say, having a, a solar and a battery is transforming. So what, with the old electricity prices, the amount we paid went from about 1600 a year to about 600 And uh, it's, it's, it, the, the bills are just, they're, they're nothing now. Our most expensive bill last year, the electricity bill. So there's no, the gas is tr trivial. It's one unit a day for cooking. Uh, the most expensive month 
over the winter, though that's heating with a heat pump now, so it's all electrical, was 50 pounds uh, plus standing charge. 50 pounds wow. on the most expensive month. I mean, yeah, what, what else can I say? <laughs> like, yeah. uh, But, you know, it, it is often something that I hear. The other excuse is like, what difference does that make if I make a change? Everybody else seems to be going about their lives the same way. Um, and, you know, it's a, I think it's a fair thing, but there's only so much we can do ourselves, right? Uh, yeah, so I, I do think it is, you know, I, I don't like to pontificate, but, but I do think it is a moral issue. I feel it as a moral issue that the things I have under my control, what can I do to make things better? And so, again, when I talk about it in, in give talks and things, one of the things I'm very keen, a lot of people are not very well off. So in Teddington, a lot of people are very well off. They live in Teddington. <laughs> but also a lot of people in Teddington are not very well off. And so if you don't have any money, you're very limited about what you can do. So there are choices you can make about what you eat and so on. And it's good to be aware of those. Uh, but uh, for people that have the resources, I think there is a question, you know, have you have you used the 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 resource that you have in the best way and so you you're talking about uh reducing carbon emissions from batteries and evs uh sort of batteries and solar panels it, it makes a massive difference across the country there are I can't remember what it is. It's something like a gigawatt of solar on people's roofs. It's, you know, yours is one tiny one, but it's big. It is, yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's less carbon dioxide emitted and new benefits as well. It's, uh, it's, it, it's the, the good things. And so one of the recent calculations I did was uh if I had done nothing, how my carbon emissions would vary out to 2040. I'm planning to die in 2040. And then uh, when I've, what I've done, what the carbon emissions are, and including my estimate for the embodied emissions, the emissions caused by making a battery and making uh, a heat pump and so on. And it turns out that all the things I've done, it, around about now, sort of middle of 2022, all the, that carbon is paid off. And so from here on in, we're, uh, we don't have to worry about that carbon that was put in the atmosphere for that. It's still warming the earth, and it still depresses me. <laughs> but uh, we're not going to emit much carbon dioxide for the next 30 years that I can see. I mean, if we, if we could all have the emissions that we make, that will make a massive difference already, right? Yeah. And some people's difference is going to be less than a half others are going to be more yeah but on average if we have if we could just do half i think that's you know yeah, i think yeah. that's the, that's the way to look at it because we can't persuade everybody i wish i could persuade be able to persuade everybody. i mean one of the reasons i do this podcast is you know i don't have a huge audience um but but i think i have loyal audience who seem to be very into it and share this around and and uh and are excited about new episodes and i think i'm making a difference by doing this um at least i yeah. i hope i do um, absolutely it, one of the most important things uh, i i chatted with someone about it the other day and he said the most important thing is talk about it talk with it's very embarrassing to say to people who are just about to go off 
uh, on a long distance flight to say, well, I'm not going, I'm not flying anymore because I can't bear the thought of those carbon dioxide emissions. Uh, they feel that you're trying to shame them or something. And so the, the polite thing is, as it were, just you just don't mention it. And, and often, sometimes I don't. But sometimes I do because it is important to mention that putting tons of carbon dioxide into the air, given what we know, is not, it's not a great thing to be doing. Not a great thing to be doing. I mean, yeah, as somebody says, once said, be the change that you want to be in, in yeah, the world. Exactly so. <laughs> um, but since you're a, a physicist, I hydrogen is like a um, like a um, wrecking ball that keeps on returning in the uh, yeah. EV conversations. And the amount of people that I hear from who say this is like the silver bullet and it will fix everything and there's only water being emitted when you when you burn, I mean, technically you're burning uh, uh, um, uh, hydrogen. Um, is that true? What is the what is your view as a physicist on the subject? Well, hydrogen technology is going to be necessary to decarbonize some industries. That that's for sure. So the the so the way you make the hydrogen. So I'm not interested in any technology that is not anything other than green hydrogen. Blue hydrogen, gray hydrogen, it's is appalling. It's truly appalling. And the reason it's appalling is not because of any particular step in the process. It's because if it's made from methane, you will leak methane into the atmosphere. So uh, in terms of carbon emissions from a boiler, I normally accounted when we had a gas boiler, I normally said it's about 200 grams for every kilowatt hour of gas we consume. But if you leak 1% methane, it's 400. Oh, wow. <laughs> Tiny leaks of methane are completely destroy the greenness of gas. You might as well be burning coal. It, it's, it's that bad. And methane leaks, uh, people, the technology for detecting them is getting better and better. They spot them from satellites and things now. And uh, it's all over the world. And it's a really low-hanging fruit to stop warming, to really go after methane. Uh, but and the idea that you're going to have an ongoing natural gas source that makes hydrogen is just, it's, it's, it's a disaster. So let's go with green hydrogen. So you're taking renewable electricity electrolyzing water and you get hydrogen out. Uh, so you can do that with, I believe it's in terms of energy usage, it's about 80, 80 to 90% efficient. So it's not bad. Okay. Uh, so, so if you want to just get the energy out of that hydrogen, you can do two things. You can burn it, like you say, and then uh, hydrogen burns with a very hot flame. Uh, it's very, the, the molecular, very uh, molecularly, the bonding energy between the two hydrogens is one of the strongest bonds in chemistry. Uh, and so you split it up and make H2O from the, the two uh, Hs. But unfortunately, there's nitrogen in the air when you burn it. So you also make it get the air gets the gets so hot that you also oxidize the nitrogen molecules. So when you burn hydrogen, when you actually burn it, you also emit nit nitrous oxide, NO. 
and that will go turn into NOx, and that so that's when that lands on the mucous membranes in your nose or in your lungs, it basically turns into nitric acid, and it uh, makes it's 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 bad for you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that 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 that's the uh, that's what I've always been telling people is that you know we don't sadly live in a pure oxygen atmosphere. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> and and then the, uh, the then the other but the other way you can get energy out of it is uh, by uh, uh, using a fuel cell. Uh, so fuel cells are about fifty percent efficient, typically. So you you so a fuel cell uh, is not uh, so so when you burn things you can get energy out using uh, the laws of thermodynamics. Uh, so you get something very hot. And then if you want to make energy out of it, you r run what's called a heat engine. So uh, like a, a turbine is a type of heat engine or an internal combustion engine is a heat engine. You're basically turning heat, uh, making molecules in the, that are moving around randomly. You make them move faster. And then you extract some of that crazy random motion as linear motion but the amount you can extract is limited by the laws of thermodynamics. And the most you can ever get out is something like in a turbine, like in a jet engine, that's about 50% efficient. An internal combustion engine is about 30% efficient. That's why I hate driving my car because <laughs> I know that all the energy in the petrol, 70% of it just goes away. <laughs> it's terrible. Anyway, converting hydrogen stuff, you, using a fuel cell, uh, you put in hydrogen in one tube and oxygen in another, and you allow them to mix together in the presence of a membrane, and you can get uh, an electric current out, and you can uh, get about 50% of the energy out. Very clever. Uh, but nowhere near as good as... So if you're going from uh, electricity and you want electricity out the other end, you want to store it as hydrogen, then use a fuel cell, uh, you can see you get 80% efficiency conversion to hydrogen, then you run it through a fuel cell and you throw away 50% of the efficiency, and then you run a motor and do something. Uh, if you just put the electricity in a battery, you'd get 90% efficiency straight away and it's cheaper and easier to make. And the technology is just getting cheaper and better all the time. So for cars, hydrogen makes no sense. It just doesn't make any sense at all. Batteries will just take over there's this it, it, it can't be any other way and then but there are things so taking hydrogen and using it to, as a source material for making fertilizers uh is making fertilizers a really critical thing so i don't know if you came across this this what's happening in sri lanka uh no so it's basically societal breakdown in sri lanka because the government couldn't afford or had an austerity plan that wouldn't buy fuel for making fertilizers and so they told people go on use organic fertilizer go local and they had massive crop failures and people are in desperate desperate circumstances so making fertilizers are really big and important thing to do and we need to do it not starting with fossil fuels we need to start with something renewable and hydrogen can be the first step of that process so hydrogen for as a chemical feedstock is a really important route and then hydrogen uh, for some other industrial processes so uh, very particularly steel making so at the minute, we uh, 
use uh, coking coal to uh, to uh, turn iron into steel. Uh, but you can do it by using hide. There's a hydrogen method as well, and so we will need hydrogen uh, in in the economy. It's just not. Uh, hydrogen boilers for homes is a ridiculous thing it's oh yeah <laughs> is a it's just in, how do you transmit it safely right safe. hydrogen is very volatile uh, yeah so we have we use hydrogen uh, when i worked at the national physical physical laboratory we used hydrogen in the labs it was a nightmare to get permissions every connection you have to you know leak check and it's uh the idea that you're going to have hydrogen running through people's homes it it's just a disaster waiting to happen just a disaster so so uh, burning it is uh in homes is bad hydrogen for transport is just stupid and uh but it is needed for for some for some industries okay but as long as it's kind of produced by electrolysis as long as it's green yeah yeah and presumably because the other argument that i often hear is you know the green hydrogen and all that that the, the physics is going to get better. We're going to find better processes on, and this is going to be a bit more efficient. And I'm, I'm not sure physics is going to change. No, Is there some amount of engineering that we can have to increase the efficiency of hydrogen? Uh, no, electrolysis will get a little bit better, but it, it can't. It, I mean, it's, it's 80 or 80 something percent, I think now. So it can't, it can get a little bit better, but not much better. I'm glad. I'm glad it isn't just me saying that. And I'm, my 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 basic understanding of physics when it comes to hydrogen is that it it goes kaboom very quickly. Is it it's very volatile? And yes. That, you know. so the way physicists say that is it has uh, one of the the worrying things about it is uh, it forms a a mixture that can burn in air at almost any mixing ratio. So if you want to burn methane, a natural gas, you need very particular mixtures of air and methane to get it to burn. And if, it, if you don't have that, it won't burn. Uh, hydrogen will burn. Give it a little bit of oxygen, it'll burn in a flame. But but the flame is almost invisible. So you've got this thing that you can have tiny leaks. It can burn at any <laughs> mixing ratio, but you can't see the flame. I mean, it's a that, recipe for disaster. That sounds exciting. <laughs> uh, I, yeah. Thank, thank you for that because that's that's much more um, of a scientific explanation than I could give to people. I you know I just remember playing with hydrogen with electro electrolysis when I was young, and always been amazed at the the amount of kaboom that uh, oh, yeah, hydrogen yeah. made yeah, yeah. <laughs> every time it was released from a uh, from a little glass um, whatever tube we used to uh, to um, to catch um, it. to catch it. Yeah, it was yeah, but. Yeah, that that that's a that's that's an that's an amazing explanation. And as always, I I I, I I've always been saying to uh, to people that hydrogen doesn't have any any future. But I I always like to ask the experts because yeah, I'm just so, a software engineer. Yeah. So there's a guy on Twitter, Michael Liebrich, uh, I think that's his name. He has a beautiful little diagram showing uh, it, it mimics the energy efficiency, the EU energy efficiency diagram that you see on on the uh, uh, consumer equipment with a sort of a b c all it shows the things that hydrogen is really good for and the things that hydrogen is really bad for uh it's a really nice little uh uh pic pictographic summary 
if, if, if I find it, I'll, I'll flash it on the screen now so that people can see it. I mean, yeah, this podcast, I mean, I'm technically recording a podcast and some people listen to it as a, as pure audio, so I don't want to have just visuals. But so far, we haven't we haven't talked about it, anything that ca- cannot be imagined by somebody who just listens to it. Uh, I mean... I could I could talk with you probably for another hour, but you know I'm, I'm sure. Wrap up, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean because this is very fascinating. I I love talking to sci- scientists and people. Uh, all, all I can say is the uh, at, at the end is the because I found your um, your blog. Uh, I was looking for a, a an an easy way to explain how heat pumps work uh, from for uh, my wife, and I found your video you know just explaining it. And I said to her, "This is how a good physics teacher would explain this to." and showing an experiment to somebody um I, I don't know whether she watched it in the end or not but i was you know i was like this is amazing and then i watched your video about um the explanation of units and how oh yes how that changes and that was quite fascinating as well so you know i i am um, all i can say is, is for people uh, who are you know thirsty for this sort of content is to to look up your videos and i'll include the links and all that in description and, and kind of follow you on, on Twitter and all that. Um, and, you know, thank you for a very good explanation and very detailed explanation of things. You're very welcome. I don't envy you the uh, prospect of editing it all, making it all listenable to, but uh, good luck. Uh, <laughs> we better hope that the recording has come out well. <laughs> anyway, thank you very much for your time. You're very welcome. G- good luck. God bless. Take care.